All right. Well, I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas and uh, looking forward to 2019 and the great revelation and quickening that is going to take place within each and every one of us. I always anticipate a new year, not that we prophesy that something is going to happen as many do in the prophetic realm, but certainly I do believe that revelation is exponentially increasing within us. And the word of the Lord is being quickened in a deeper sense within us all. And I believe as time goes on, we're going to experience this more and more. What we are going to do tonight is take a little turn here. We have done quite a bit of teaching on this series of teachings on the mind-brain connections. From the book of Genesis, we talked about Adam. We talked about God splitting the atom, taking the A-T-O-M out of Adam, splitting the atom, taking an electron when he took the rib or the chamber out of Adam, brought forth life in Eve. We talked about the serpent and how that the serpent, when it was speaking to the woman, was really her flesh, and we explained all of that. We talked about Abraham. We talked about Jacob and his four women. We talked about Jacob seeing God face to face and naming the place Peniel. We talked about Joseph, and he was pitted, potted, and putted. And we talked about uh, quite a few things concerning Joseph when the brothers came and wanted to receive food for their family. Joseph said, I'm not going to give you any food until you bring forth the child, until Benjamin is brought forth. And then the last one we dealt with last week was Noah's flood. And uh, we opened some things up on Noah's flood. So what I want to do tonight is I want to go into the book of Exodus. And we want to look, and it's probably going to be quite a few weeks and quite a few sessions that we do Exodus. I want to see some things in Exodus that depict, again, what is happening within us. Because we're not looking at these stories from a historical standpoint but we're looking at all of these stories as happening within you and happening within I. And so what I want to do before we get to Exodus chapter 2 is I want to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13. But as you're turning there, let me say a few things. When we get into Exodus, we're going to find out that Moses represents the child. Remember we talked about the child being brought forth? in David and the child being brought forth in Benjamin. We see the very same thing when we look at Moses. We're going to see the child brought forth. And we're going to see that Moses represents the mind as a whole. Now, why the child? Well, because Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a child. He said, suffer the little children or forbid not the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And we looked at the characteristics of a child. Number one, a child is teachable. Number two, a child takes no thought. I gave the illustration how mom and dad can be, you know, discussing situations. Maybe they feel like they don't have enough money to pay the bills, or maybe there's a situation going on in the home, and the little child takes no thought. The child can be on the floor playing with her toys and absolutely taking no thought. So that's one of the characteristics of a child as well. They take no thought. They're easily, you know, teachable. They're very forgivable. They forgive quickly. And so these characteristics of a child represent us bringing, and I'll take this chart down in a few minutes here, but represent us bringing that which the right hemisphere represents, which is the little child or which is the mind of Christ, which is exercising the single eye, which is spontaneous meditation and even purposeful meditation. And what is spontaneous meditation? Well, 
when you're tempted, when a suggestion looms up before you, coming from that left side, when that happens, if we will just step back, instead of being reactionary, step back, take a few minutes of silence, and respond rather than react, then we will find that that is all that it takes, just a few seconds to acknowledge him, to acknowledge the right side and what that represents, can cause us to be able to walk through that. Now, let me say this. If you'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, what I want to share with you is a couple of scriptures because someone might have the question on their heart, where do you get the documentation? Where do you get the authority to look at these Old Testament stories and center up not on the historicity of those stories, but center up on the happening of those stories within us? Where do we get that documentation? Where do we get that authority to do that? Well, I'm going to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where it specifically talks about Moses. But let me just quote this one in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 24. It tells us there that Abraham and his sons are an allegory. And then it goes on to say, and the things of the Old Testament are an allegory. Now, what does that mean? That means that if we're going to receive anything or glean anything from the Old Testament stories... We're going to have to move beyond the history. Not that they didn't happen in history, but we must move beyond the history and realize that each and every one of them are happening within us. And so when we get into this book of Exodus, we're going to find out that there are some things that happened where Moses was concerned. You know, he smote the rock and the water came out. He threw down the serpent. And uh, we know the whole story, how, you know, God told him to throw the serpent down and it became a snake and then pick it up again. All of those miracles, if you will, represent something that is happening in us as well. It wasn't just something that, you know, he, you know, smote the rock and the water came out because they were thirsty, or he threw down the serpent and it became, or threw down the rod, excuse me, and it became a serpent, then God told him to pick it back up it, in the manna that supernaturally fell. All of those things are happening within us, and we're going to look at those things. So this, in Exodus, is going to be very interesting for us to begin to see. But let me read in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 13, for some documentation and where I get the authority to teach these things in a symbolic, allegoric, parabolic, spiritual way, rather than teaching them according to the literality, the, the literalness, if you will, of these stories. So notice it's talking specifically about Moses here in 2 Corinthians 3, beginning with verse 13, and it says, And not as Moses which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. So what was abolished here? We say, well, the law was abolished, and that's why he put the veil on his face. But I want to look at it a little differently here tonight. He put the veil upon his face so that we would not, because when someone has a veil on their face, what are they doing? They're covering up their identity. So Moses covers up his identity so that we would not be able, or they, of course, but today, if we're going to apply this allegorically to us, so that we would not be able to look at the face of Moses in a literal sense. That's what I want to say here. Say, for them, it was something else. But for us today, the veil over Moses' face would represent not taking Moses and interpreting Moses as a man but realizing that Moses represents something that's within you and I. 
Now it goes on then in verse 14, it says, but their minds were blinded for until this day. And I could say even this day, most people's minds are blinded. Why? Because they're trying to interpret the scriptures and especially the Old Testament in a literal sense. So it says in verse 14, But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. So what that is saying there is that the veil can only be taken away. Moses put the veil on his face. And later on we'll see that Jesus did away with the veil. But you and I are the ones that have to take the veil off. Even though Christ did away with the veil, you and I are involved in taking the veil off. How is the veil going to be taken off of our minds? As we look at these stories, not in a literal sense, but as we look at them spiritually, symbolically, and so forth. In other words, as we're dealing in Exodus with Moses, when someone puts a veil on their face, you cannot identify their identity. So what is this veil to us over Moses' face speaking to us about? We need to look beyond a man, Moses, not saying he wasn't, but we need to look beyond the man, Moses, and see that Moses is on the inside of you and I. That's what we're going to see here. Now, look what it goes on to say in verse 14, which veil is done away in Christ? Now, what did Christ teach us? He taught us that the kingdom is where? Within us. He said the kingdom, Paul said, the kingdom is not meat and drink. It is righteousness, peace, and joy. Where is righteousness, peace, and joy? It's within us. Jesus said the kingdom comes not with observation, not with something that you can observe or see, not rules and regulations that you observe or see. Neither does the kingdom of God even come with anything that you can see visibly. But the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus said many times, enter within. He said, it's not that which is without that defiles a man, but that which is within. In other words, his awareness, you see. So over and over, Jesus was trying to get us to focus on the inside, see. And that is one way that he did away with the veil, because he wanted us to begin to look at these verses of Scripture, whether it's New Testament or Old Testament, and bring them to the inside of us, not just center up on their historicity. Now look at verse 15. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. In other words, they're not seeing Moses. We're not to look at some man, Moses. But what are we to do? We are to look, as I said, to the inside of ourselves and realize that this story and all of these stories that we're going to be looking at in Exodus are about something that is taking place within you and within me. And until we do that, we're not going to be taking the veil away. We're still centering up on something literal. We're still centering up on something external to us. We have to bring it home. We have to bring it on the inside of us. Now look at verse 16. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the, notice, Lord, and where is the Lord? Not sitting on some planet 50 million light years away. The Lord is within us, and then verse 17 is going to qualify it more, but verse 16, nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, when we turn inside ourselves, then the veil, when we bring these stories inside of ourselves and see that they're happening within us, then we have turned to the Lord, because where is the Lord? The Lord is within us. Now look at verse 17. Now the Lord is that spirit. Let me say it another way. Your spirit is the Lord, 
and the Lord is your spirit. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. We are one in him. So now the Lord, it says, is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is liberty within you and I. In other words, if we can begin to read these stories spiritually rather than literally, allegorically rather than literally, symbolically rather than literally, then we are going to see and we're going to experience the freedom that is on the inside of us. Now, Moses, go back if you will to Exodus chapter 2. Moses represents the child that is born within us. See? And if we are, listen, if we are led out of all of our left hemisphere thoughts, which is carnal thoughts and judging, you know, by the seeing of the eye and the hearing of the ear and just centering up on intellect rather than having our intellect being controlled by the Spirit, if we're doing that, then we're not going to experience the child. The child can only be experienced as we slip into the mind of Christ, exercise the single eye, and as I said many times, are involved in spontaneous meditation when something looms up before us, and we stop a second, and instead of being reactionary, we respond with just silence. You know, right away, when appearances loom up before us, many times we want to start fighting and binding and loosing and, oh, let's pray and this, this that, and the other, rather than just hushing, mm -hmm. being silent, mm -hmm. and just acknowledging that the answer, as Job said, my help lies within me. Mm -hmm. It's within me. Now, in Exodus, let's, let's read here in Exodus chapter 2 and in verse 1. It says, And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. Now, notice here, the wife is of Levi, it says there, and the husband is of Levi. And these two have a child, and the child's name is Moses. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about a people. We're not talking about a people that came out of Egypt and they're in the desert. We're not talking about that. We are bring see, because let me say it this way. I could care less about a people that were in bondage thousands of years ago, but I care about a people that are in bondage today. Right. And that's where it's at. And the only way we're going to be able to experience coming out of all of that or any type of bondage and help others to come out of there is when we live from the inside out. That's the only way. Until we really live from the inside out and really have slipped into that mind of Christ and really discern things according to the single eye. If your eye be single, your whole body will be full of light. I mean, that's what he said. I mean, it's in the book, right? And not only is it in the book that we hold in our hand, but it's in this book of life within us, in you and I tonight. So here we have this man of Levi in Exodus 2, verse 1. We have this man of Levi and this daughter of Levi. They have, they bear a son by the name of Moses. Now, let me talk a little bit about Levi here. Levi is the tribe that speaks of spiritual ministry. And we know, of course, that points to the Melchizedek ministry after the order of Melchizedek today which has a lot of implications there that I'm not going to get into. But I just simply want to say spiritual ministry here, or Levi, represents a pre priestly class. It represents, if I can say it this way, a higher vibration of energy that we get our direction from. Let me say it again. Levi means spiritual ministry, and it points to a higher class of ministry, especially when you get into Melchizedek, a higher energy or frequency within us where we get our energy from. And you see, if we live from this mind of Christ and exercise the single eye, 
then we're bringing forth this child. We're bringing forth that which Moses represents. Now, again, what we're seeing here, because if you would go back to, and I'm not going to read it, but if you'd go back to Exodus chapter 1, there was a law in Egypt that said when there were any boy babies born, you had to kill them. And remember, in chapter 1 of Exodus, they even told the midwives, when there are any boy babies born, you need to kill them, but let the girl babies live. Now, what is that talking about to us? There, there's, there's a practicality here. There's, there's something that that points to, that all the boy babies have to be killed, and all of the girl babies were allowed to live. And the midwives, even though they did not take the instructions from the king, the midwives allowed the boy babies to live even against the instruction of the king. Now, what does that represent? Here's what it represents, and I'm not going to turn there, but in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, he defines a Jew there. And he said, a Jew is not one that is a Jew outwardly, Paul the Apostle said. A Jew, a true Jew is not one that's born in the Middle East or has, you know, a Jewish heritage. He said, but a true Jew is one that is that inwardly. He's been circumcised of the left hemisphere. He's been circumcised of the carnal on the left side. He's been circumcised from all of the rules, the regulations, and all the, you know, the Jewish heritage, and all of that has been circumcised. Remember, I let me just turn this over and just show you this one more time. Remember when I gave you this little cross that I drew here, and I shared with you that on the top you have dam that represents emotions, and that's the left side. You had Reuben that represents the physical of the left side. You have Ephraim that represents the intelligence, just being led by the intelligence alone rather than the spirit, you know, controlling the intelligence. But on the right side, you had Judah, which is the Christ mind, and it was on the east side. Anytime you were facing north, what's going to be on your right, and we're talking about the right hemisphere, what's going to be on the right is going to be the east, the east side, and east simply means the dawning of a new day. And so... What are we talking about here? The fact that all the boy, ba boy babies were to be killed. We're talking about the fact that a real true Jew is not one that was, you know, born from Jewish heritage. But a real Jew, Paul the Apostle said, is one that is a Jew inwardly and has circumcised away all of the left side. That's what that represents back there in Exodus chapter 1. A true Jew is one that has circumcised himself from just living by the emotional left side or the intellectual left side or the five senses on the left side, that's a true Jew. So the fact here that Exodus chapter 1 has a law, had a law that these boy babies were not to be left alive points to us that the true Jew, in other words, points to us of the importance of living from the east, the dawning of the new day or points to us of the importance of living on the right side or from the right side. And that constitutes a true Jew. And that's what that represents back there in Exodus chapter 1, uh, spiritually speaking, when they were not to allow the boy babies to live, but they were to kill the, boy, uh, the Jew, Jewish boy babies, you see. Now, if you look in verse 2 of Exodus chapter 2, let's read on here. Exodus 2, verse 2, And the woman conceived... And bear a son. And when she saw that he was a goodly child, talking about Moses, she hid him, it says, three months. 
Now, why did she hide him? Remember, she put him in the basket, hid him for three months. She put him in that basket to preserve his life. Now, we all know and we're very familiar with the fact that the number three represents new life and resurrection. Number three represents new life and resurrection. The fact that he was hidden in this basket points to a number of things. Yes, it points to the fact that Jesus was in the heart of the earth three days and three nights and then was resurrected. Yes, it points to the fact that Jonah was in the belly of hell three days and three nights and then he was brought forth and he was resurrected, if you will. But what it points to in a greater sense and what we're talking about is us going down on the inside of ourselves in meditation. And when we go down on the inside of ourselves in this spontaneous or purposeful meditation, or even just the slipping into the mind of Christ or the exercise with a single eye, what it will bring and what it will yield will be this resurrected life or this new life. Now, we know also that, and we're, of course, just come out of the winter solstice, three days and three nights, the sun goes down on the 22nd into the heart of the earth, and it's there for three days and three nights, and then on the third day, it resurrects and it brings forth new life. So all of that, but the main thing I want us to see is we go down into ourselves and we hide, as it were, ourselves from the left hemisphere thoughts, from the five senses. That's what it represents. And out of that meditation then comes forth new life. And that's very important for us to understand. Now, Jesus said it this way in talking about prayer, which I see prayer, another word for prayer is meditation. Jesus said, when you go into the closet, the prayer closet, as it were, or we could say the meditation closet, shut the door behind you. When you go into that, shut the door. Go into the closet and shut the door. What are we shutting the door on? All of those thoughts, and we're hiding ourselves within ourselves, and that's what this three also represents. Because what comes out of that is resurrection life, new life comes forth. Anytime we slip into the mind of Christ, whether we're having a crisis or whatever it is, anytime we just silence ourselves in meditation and close out all of the thoughts from the left hemisphere, there's got to be, there's bound to be new life that springs forth. There's bound to be resurrection life that we experience out of that. Now, last week we talked about Noah and the flood. And I shared with you that Noah's name means rest. And he was told to prepare the ark. And I shared with you how that represents us preparing our ark or building our consciousness. And I shared with you how that that flood there represents baptism. And we read the scripture in Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 where Paul the apostle said, or the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, said, leave the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Remember that scripture last week we read it? Leave the principles of the doctrine of Christ. And it lists about six different doctrines of Christ. And one of them was the doctrine of baptisms, plural. And I shared with you how baptisms there represent the water baptism that we went through when we were younger in the Lord and the spirit baptism. And all of those things are valid that are listed there. But what is he saying? He said, I want you to leave that and grow up. That's what, what he's saying when he said, go on to perfection. That word perfection is really maturity. In other words, grow up. So what did I say last week about that? What I said was you could be baptized in literal water and get your head wet and your mind never be baptized. Amen. And so this is what the flood then of Noah represents. It represents our mind being baptized. Why? Because it was Noah building the ark. It was Noah. It represents Noah 
meaning rest, building a consciousness that caused him to begin to experience what his name means, and that is simply rest. And so that's what we must do. And we shared last week how that we shouldn't wait till we have a crisis, then all of a sudden we're going to try to build our consciousness. What we need to do, and what Noah did, he built while the sun was shining. There wasn't any water, hadn't rained, one drop of water yet, but he was building that ark, representing what? Us not waiting until we have a crisis on our hands, but continually on a day-to-day basis, spending that time in meditation, purposeful and spontaneous meditation, and, and being in the mind of Christ, and living from the inside out. So that flood then, back there in Genesis chapter 6 that we did last week, represents the flood of the mind of Christ washing the thoughts, the outer external thoughts of the left hemisphere or of the left side. That's what it represents. Now, look what it says then in verse 3 of Exodus 2, verse 3. And when she could no longer hide him, she because we're seeing the same thing happening here in Exodus that we taught last week concerning Noah, the very same story, very same scenario. So when she could no longer hide him, that is Moses, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and dabbed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river brink. Now flags there just means saltwater grass there. Now what happened was she hid him for three months. That represents what? It represents us going down on the inside of us in this meditation. Now, Moses' name, most of you probably know, his name means to be drawn out of the water. Mm. To be drawn out of the water. And to be drawn out of the water denotes a cleansing effect that takes place when this flood of water, not just the wet water, there's wet water and then there's dry water. The wet water gets our head wet and we come up wet. But we can come up wet with wet water and baptism and not have our mind washed whatsoever. So the flood represented the flood coming and cleansing the left hemisphere thoughts that we had. And we could say the flood, another way of saying that would be, as we slip into the mind of Christ, there's a flood of truth. Because what is the water but the washing of the water of the word, Paul said in Ephesians. Chapter 5, I believe it was. And so what we have here is Moses' name means to be drawn out of the water. Now let me give you this again, and I'll take this little chart down here. The Greeks had five stages of consciousness. Number one was water. Number two, or earth, I'm sorry. Number two, number one is earth. Number two is water. Number three is air. Number four is five. And then that constitutes the Christ mind. The earth is the lower thoughts of the left hemisphere, which comprise the 10% of the thoughts that we think of. And that's why I said before, that's the tithe. We bring the tithe into the storehouse. What, what is the tithe? It's the 10% that the world says that we use. That's the bringing in, in of the tithe. And as we bring in that tithe, then we're going to move up into the water. Now the water represents the inner spiritual truth that begins to flood us, or you could call it the, the mind of Christ, that floods that left hemisphere, and we no longer are thinking from the five sense realm. We're no longer thinking carnal thoughts. We're no longer judging things by the way they look. But we're the, we've submitted that left side to the mind of Christ. And a flood of the washing of the water, the word comes in, and we think differently. And then the next one is air. And this is where we come to the place to where we take no thought. A situation arises, you take no thought. You see, this is where we rise to meet him in the air. And we'll talk about that a little bit later 
And then fire, the fire, the fourth one, is pure spiritual thoughts. And we're going to deal with this one a little bit more. And I could say some things about that tonight. And I do believe that's where we, you know, we're one with the fire. We're one with the word. And that's the consuming fire. And it's the lake of fire. And when people are cast into the truth that we have received, then they get cleansed. But I'm really going to apply that number four next week, Lord willing, to the burning bush. And we're going to see some things about the burning bush that's going to connect with the fire. And it all constitutes, you know, the mind of Christ that we have there. So if you take that into your mind, if you, if you move up from the earth realm, the left hemisphere, and you come up into this baptism of the water, the flood of Noah, and what we're seeing here with Moses, then you'll eventually rise up to the third stage of awareness and consciousness, which is the air, and then eventually you'll experience the fire. And that's what we're going to be talking about here with Moses tonight. Once you awaken to the fourth stage of the fire, as I said, you become a lake of fire to others. And you can teach them because you're one experientially. And you're, you were one before with the fire and with, and with the Father and in Christ. But you really are walking in that and you're really experiencing that. And then people are cast into the lake of fire. You, and you can begin to teach them and then they can progress up as well. So... What are we dealing with? We're dealing here, and let me just throw this in, because in Revelation chapter, I think it's chapter 7 and verse 3, it talks there about a people, 144,000 being sealed in their forehead. And remember, the Ark of Noah had to be sealed on the inside and the outside with pitch. That represents us being sealed. Also, we see this basket that Moses was placed in by his mother had slime and pitch. What does that represent? It represents, as Revelation chapter 7 and verse 3 says, a people that are sealed. Once you begin to rise up in consciousness and you really begin to wake, you come to a place where it's so sealed in you, you never go back out. Come on. And that 144,000, it's not people, 144,000 people, it means government to infinity. Yeah. See, it's government to infinity. And it's these people that we're talking about here. So I'm going to call this the Moses factory, uh, factory factor tonight. Maybe it is a factory, but it's a factor. <laughs> the Moses factor we're going to be talking about. So Moses, you see, as I said when we started, has to do with the child. They took that physical aspect of Moses that points to our mind as a whole, the earth, and our body, the earth as a whole, and they put him in the water, and then his name means to be lifted out or drawn out of the water. And he, of course, we know was drawn out of the water and that's exactly what it represents is the baptism of the mind or the left hemisphere i should say the baptism of the left hemisphere so in order to bring forth this child within you and i we have to be drawn up and out up out of the water and what does that constitute well then we'll move in our awareness see these are not things that we do but these are states of awareness and states of consciousness. And each and every one of us, whether it looks like it in your life or feels like it in your life, we are moving. We're rising. Another way of saying, we're not so much changing, but we're awakening. We're waking up. Yeah. See, and as we wake up, we're going from the water all the way up to the, up to the fire, which constitutes the Christ might. Now, listen, Jesus said it this way in John 3 and verse 5. He said, talking to Nicodemus, he said, unless a man be born of the second stage of water, the second stage of water, second stage of consciousness, and spirit, and how many know that would be 
air. You could use spirit for air. They're caught up in the air, caught up in the spirit. It says he will not experience the kingdom of God. See, unless we rise like Moses, drawn out of the water, see, unless we are, unless a man is born of water, taken up out of the water, and of spirit or air, he will not experience. doesn't say he's, you know, not in the kingdom. He's in the kingdom. But how many know we can be in the kingdom and have the kingdom in us and still not be walking in it? Still not really be fully experiencing it, and none of us are yet. But what Jesus was saying was that the kingdom of God is within you, and once we come to understand, that's going to really cause us to begin to experience these different levels of consciousness. Now, remember when I shared with you how that the disciples were out fishing all night and they hadn't caught a thing, and Jesus comes along and he says, well, you got to cast your net to the right side. Cast your net to the right side. I can take this off now. We're done with this. Cast your net to the right side. And it says they caught 153 fish. Add 1 plus 5 plus 3 and you get 9. And 9 is the number that designates life and consciousness. And notice, where were they? They were in the water. So that's not talking about fish. It's not just talking about, you know, ships. It's not just talking about nets. What was it talking about? It was talking about be drawn out of the water. In other words, cast your net to the right side. But now see what religion has done. Religion has caused many, many people, and I was there at one time in my life, to believe that the ultimate was to get my head dunked in water. And I'm not making light of that. That was very valid at one time, but that's where we were. And it, and it had, you know, it had its purpose. And certainly the baptism of the Spirit did, but many today just think that, you know, uh, just as long as you get baptized in water, that's going to make, you know, sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die. It has nothing to do with going to heaven when you die. And then some have gone a little further and said, well, yes, we've been baptized in water. and We got the baptism of the Spirit, and that's wonderful. And so now we're ready for the glory train. We're ready for the rapture. We're ready for the pie in the sky when we die. And they don't realize that there's still a baptism, a flood of the washing of the water of the Word that needs to take place within us so that we can experience heaven here. Not have to wait to experience heaven on some cloud somewhere. And, you know, and that's where the majority of Christendom is today. They're still waiting on a rapture, still waiting for Jesus to split an eastern sky, come back on a white horse, tune a golden trumpet. And I'm here to tell you it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen the way they think it's going to happen. Now, I certainly believe when people die physically, yes, their spirit goes back to God, absolutely. But you know what? If we want to experience the kingdom here, we're going to have to experience these different levels of consciousness that the Greeks were very cognizant of and they understood. Now, so what this is showing us here is that we must take the mind, take this left hemisphere, and submit it unto the Spirit or unto the mind of Christ. And rise then from the water, see, from the water into the realm of Spirit or the realm of air. And another way of saying that, as I've been saying tonight, is the flood denotes slipping into the mind of Christ. Exercising the single eye, spontaneous meditation, purposeful meditation, whatever you want to call it. That constitutes the washing of the water of the word, and that constitutes the flood, and that constitutes the baptism of the mind. Having all of this stuff circumcised, that's the true Jew, having all that circumcised away, if you want to 
call it by that term, circumcision. It has to do with the flood. Not that there's anything wrong with the left side. God gave us the left side, but there has to be the priority, as we've been saying all along in this series. The intellect, we need intellect, but it has to be, has to have the spirit flow through it. We need the five senses, but it has to have the spirit flow through it. We must have reasoning ability, but we must reason by the spirit. And this cannot be operating in and of itself alone. It has to be subjected to the spirit. The spirit has to flow through it in order for this side then to become one with this side, the two become one and are married together. Now, we're already married. We're already one. But I'm talking about experiential. I'm talking about walking in this. I'm talking about walking the kingdom, experiencing the kingdom, rather than just objectively having the kingdom in us and we being in the kingdom. I'm talking about actually experiencing it while here on terra firma. Amen. And not pushing it off into the future. As we know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And many people today are pushing it all off into the future. Someday it's going to happen. Someday I'm going to be in glory. Someday I'm going to have a whole body. Listen, we're the body of Christ. We're bone of his bone. We're flesh of his flesh. We lack absolutely nothing. But you know what? We haven't completely awakened to that yet. And so that's why these five stages, really four, of consciousness represent an awakening that takes place from realm to realm and glory to glory. Now, look at verse 5, back in Exodus chapter 2, verse 5. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. So notice here, this daughter of Pharaoh comes to the river to wash, and she sees this ark. Now, could it be, since Pharaoh's daughter represents the left hemisphere, could it be she was getting a little washing? Otherwise, she never could have even seen the ark. Mm. So she was down there washing, and she sees the ark. And we have to remember that all of this is happening on the inside of us. Pharaoh represents the left hemisphere. Pharaoh's daughter represents the emotions of the left side. And Pharaoh is the part of the lower thoughts that this child within us, as it rises up, up must convince the left side that it must yield unto the right side. Remember, Moses kept telling Pharaoh, let my people go, let my people go. And he would not let them go until finally at the end he finally let them go. But it took a lot of convincing. So who, what is going to convince our Pharaoh over here, the left-handed thoughts, what's going to convince that he needs to let those thoughts go? It's going to be the child. It's going to be Moses. It's going to be the child that's going to convince the left side that we have to allow those to be subjected to the right side. And this is very similar to Jacob, because remember when we talked about Jacob, his name means a, a sinister and a conniver and a cheat and a liar. But you know what? All the while there was a side of him, of Jacob, because his name always was Israel. He just didn't know, and so he was operating out of Jacob. You see, but he, you know, he was cheating, he was lying, he was conniving, but there always was that spiritual side to him that he didn't realize. And once he woke up to that spiritual side, he saw the Lord face to face and called the place Pineal. Mm. Pineal, Pineal, same thing. He had an experience. He experienced who he had always been. So in the same way, this is what we see here with, uh, with Pharaoh. Pharaoh had to be convinced to let the people go. Our Pharaoh, those left-handed thoughts, 
are going to be convinced by the child, the mind of Christ, the walking in the single eye, that these must be yielded, these thoughts must be yielded unto the right side. Now, remember when we did Noah's Ark last week, we talked about the fact that when they brought in the animals, they brought in, uh, first of all, the animals two by two, and two speaks of duality. And they brought in the fowls. What does that represent? It represents Noah brought in all of the foul thoughts. I'm going to die, I'm not going to make it, I this, I that, or I'm not this, or I'm not that. And then secondly, they brought in the cow that has to do with the domestic side. And that has to do with the things we must do on a daily basis, our job, or our wives, husbands, whatever, children, whatever we have. And then they brought the creeping things, and those are the little things that irritate us to no end. So what did they do? They brought two as the number of duality. He had to bring those into the ark, or he had to bring them into himself, the left-handed thoughts, so that he could deal with those things. See, because he was looking at the creeping things, he was looking at the fowls, he was looking at the cattle out of duality. He was looking at everything out of duality, so he had to bring those into the ark, he had to bring those into himself so that he could deal with those things. But now how was he going to deal with those things? The only way he was going to deal with those things is to allow them to be swallowed up by the right hemisphere. And then remember the next thing he brought in was animals, the clean animals, by sevens. And remember we talked about the fact that what that represents is, is simply, and we have thought this for many years, that oh, we're just anointed in our spirit and our body, has no, our body is completely separate from us spiritually and God doesn't care about the body and we shouldn't care about the body, it's just going to die anyhow. And I shared with you how bringing those animals in by sevens had to do with the solar plexus releasing the energy, going up the seven energy fields, coming to the base of the skull, where the pineal is, throwing the right hemisphere open, and we talked about the land flowing with milk and honey because the oil that's in the pineal that flows to the pituitary is a milky substance or a milky-colored substance, and then it comes to the pituitary and it becomes a golden substance, and it represents us. We are the promised land partaking, walking in, experiencing the land that flows with milk and honey. And that's one of the things that bringing in the seven clean, see, he had to bring those into himself. And it's amazing how people today have tried to separate the body. You know, thinking that, you know, there's nothing good about the body and, and God doesn't care about the body. Listen, we're bone of his bone. We're flesh of his flesh. We are the body of Christ. And I do not believe the anointing can flow within us, in, in us spiritually or in our spirit, without it affecting our bodies. I told you last week there's been many times that I have ministered the word and after I finished ministering, I had oil almost dripping off of my hands. I could see the oil on my hands. What was that? That was simply that oil that flows in the body, the oil that was flowing in the spirit, also flowing in the body. In fact, it's called the colostrum if you study the brain. And we talked about that when we first began this series. The colostrum, which is the life food. It's the life oil. That's why when mothers nurse their babies, it's the colostrum. And it gets them a real good head start. Develops their brain and does a whole lot of other physical things. Well, we have like a, a chrism or an anointing flowing within our brains as well as the solar plexus release that energy. And I said all that just to say this. There's no way that the anointing can flow in us spiritually, in our spirit or spiritually, without it affecting our physical body. Because listen, folks, they're one of the same. 
Our bodies are spirit slowed down to visibility. They are one and the same. You cannot separate the body from the spirit. Cannot separate the body from the spirit. Now, notice in verse 5 here that Pharaoh's daughter sees the little child, and Pharaoh's daughter simply represents the emotions, the ego of the left side. And you see, just as you and I are here listening to this word tonight, there's that emotional aspect even this emotional aspect in each and every one of us, as you're listening to this word tonight, even the emotional aspect wants to experience something better than you've ever experienced before. Even in the emotional aspect. We know that there's something that's a contradiction. We talked about it earlier tonight. We know that there's contradiction in our lives, that there are things we're not experiencing that we know are already ours and already is, you see. So you see, what we need to understand is that Pharaoh will represent your lower mind, and Pharaoh will seem to be obstructive to these thoughts on the right side or the right hemisphere. They seem to be obstructive. But you see, there's going to come a time when Pharaoh is going to, after Moses says, let my people go, he's obstructive for a while and he's hindering it for a while, but after a while he's going to let the people go. And that very same thing is happening within us. There will come a time that... Pharaoh, those thoughts from the left hemisphere are going to realize, hey, I'm going to have to let those thoughts go. I'm going to have to let those emotions go. I'm going to have to make sure that my ego goes, edging God out, E-G-O. I'm going to have to no longer do that, and I'm going to have to allow this child to convince these thoughts over here that they are worth nothing and they need to be released. Let my people go. Let my thoughts go. Within you, you're going to hear that. Let, my, let these left hemisphere thoughts go. And the child is going to convince. Moses convinced Pharaoh to let the people go. Now, Pharaoh's daughter represents, as I said, the emotional aspect. But remember I told you some time ago in this series of teachings that the woman, depending on the context when you're reading a story, the woman can represent spirit depending on the context. And especially if the woman has her mind of Christ on, then she represents spirit. But many times, and more times than not, when you read about the daughter of Pharaoh or you read about the woman or like, you know, Jacob's women except for one, they all represented the left hemisphere. Until, you see, because listen, nothing, nothing can be birthed out of this left hemisphere. See, and, and listen, this is our awareness. This whole thing is our awareness, and that's what we're wanting to do. We're wanting to see this flood flood our awareness. The mind of Christ not just be something that is on the inside of us somewhere. We say, you know, God is within us, and we have the mind of Christ. Where? Where is he? Where is that? Is it my liver, my kidney, my heart? My, where is that? And what it's really saying is mind of Christ as us. We have everything we'll ever have need of. We have the mind of Christ. It's us. It is our mind already. We're not going to get it. It is our mind. But the thing is, we must become cognizant of it. We must become aware of the mind of Christ. And that's what Paul meant when he said, put on the mind of Christ. Slip into the mind of Christ. Put on means to slip into it. Slip into it. Become aware of it. And when we become aware of it, all these thoughts here will just bow down. They'll just, they'll just yield unto the child or under the mind of Christ. Now, look at verses 6 through 9 in Exodus chapter uh, 2. In Exodus chapter 2, 6 through 9. And in chapter, or in verse 5, 
the maid was the one, remember the maid was the one there that fetched the ark. Pharaoh's daughter was the one then that opened the ark and found Moses laying in the basket. But now look at verses 6 through 9. It says, and when she had opened it, she saw, this is Pharaoh's daughter, when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Verse 7, then said his sister, imagine that, his sister was there, his sister. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? Now, notice his sister, Moses' sister is present here. And listen, Moses' sister represents spirit. So now listen to this. Spirit within you and I. Spirit within you and I is now being involved. And listen, it says in verse 7, Shall I go and call, Spirit says, Shall I go and call a nurse? And Pharaoh's daughter in verse 8 says, Yes. And so the maid went, notice, and called the child's mother. Now, who did the sister go and call? Moses' mother. And Moses' mother came, and notice in verse 9 what it says, And Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. Now, the spirit here, the sister represents the spirit. Okay? The sister now in us, the spirit in us, is now going to teach us, nurture us, nurse us, Suckle us, love us, show us what grace is. Reveal to us we've always been one. Reveal to us that we've been saved and called and made blameless from before the foundation. And there's no way that Moses could have grown in wisdom and stature as the scripture says he did. You know, it says that of Jesus. He had to grow in wisdom and stature. He didn't just come on the scene, you know, a full-blown grown, a full-grown man. Jesus didn't. Moses didn't. And so it took the mother, just like within us, it takes the spirit to nurture, nurture, coddle, and love on us to bring us to the place as Moses to where we grow in wisdom and stature. And listen, that is why the religious church is in such a mess. And that's why they're so screwed up. Sorry for using that word, but they're screwed up. Why? Because they have not had the mother representing an aspect of the spirit within them, nurturing them, loving them, coddling them, revealing God's love unto them, revealing the Father's grace unto them, revealing that they've never been separate from the Father, revealing they did not come here as a sinner, revealing that they came here righteous and upright and holy. Without that nurturing, you see, and that's what caused Moses, and that's what will cause us more than anything. It's not going to be a bunch of rules and regulations and things that we have to do, but it's going to be the mother side of the Spirit in us, nurturing us and loving us so that we can grow as Moses did in stature and in wisdom. But you got to stay with the mother. Got to let the mother feed. Let that mother see, and most many, many religious circles today 
would be against what I'm saying because bless God, there's the justice side of God and you know there's an eternal hell and you know there's this and that and you know what we've heard for years. We we're all raised up on that garbage and we never had the mother to nurture us. Now the mother within us is nurturing us and loving us and showing us the truth so that we can build that ark, build that consciousness and build it correctly. And that's what we're doing here. We're building our consciousness and we're building our awareness through the love coming awake to the love of the Father that has always been. You know, I'm convinced, you know, people talk about, well, you know, God's forgiveness. I'm convinced God never ever had to forgive me. See, I don't think grace is undeserved. Oh, it's unmerited and it's unearned. We didn't do a thing to earn it or merit it. But would you buy your children a Christmas gift and say, well, I got you this nice gift and I spent a whole lot of money on it, but you don't deserve it? Mm. Huh? No, absolutely not. How could we, how could grace, the grace of God for us have been undeserved mm. if we came here as his children? You know, there's a scripture that says he came unto his own and his own received him not, but they were his own. Mm. They were always his own, you see. And so that's, what, that's the love that we need to be nurtured by in order for us to grow in wisdom and stature like Moses did and exactly like Jesus did. And I'm convinced that a great hindrance and a great blockage in our lives from the flow of what we've been talking about in this series has come because of guilt and fear and condemnation and things that religion built into us and this is what religion nourished, the left side. But this is what the mother side of the Holy Spirit nurtures, is the right side. Now, look at verse 10 then. And the child grew after the mother <clears throat> nourished and coddled. You see, the child grew and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter. Listen, and he became her son. So you know what's happening here? The mother that nursed Moses now turns him over to Pharaoh's daughter and Moses becomes Pharaoh's daughter's son. See, once we grow in stature and wisdom because of the nurturing and the loving and the truth, that is really the truth, once we experience that, then the Holy Spirit releases us and we can go out and we, as we looked at these five levels of consciousness, we can go out as that fire, as that lake of fire. And people can be cast into us. We've been released, you see. Been re and it also represents you're released over here to the left side. You know why? Because you, you'll do the right thing by the left side. <laughs> see, isn't that interesting? The child has arisen. You know, you've, it's gotten easier and easier for you to slip into the mind of Christ and to exercise the single eye. So you're released. You're kind of protected from that for a while. I remember those days being protected from that for a while, but then you're released. Once you grow a little bit or awaken, that's a better word, awaken to the love and the grace of God, then you're released to that left side, see, because you'll know how to handle that and how to deal with it. Now, in closing, look at verse 11. In verse 11, it records, And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren, and he looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew, one of his brethren. Verse 12, and he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. Now, what is this talking about here? 
Moses, within us, sees the burden that the left hemisphere causes people. Mm. And goes into meditation and kills out that side. Mm. That's what it's talking about. And once that side has been killed out, or let me say it another way, if, if that's too strong, once that has been submitted and is no longer acting on its own, then guess what? See, that's all that this is saying here. It wasn't that Moses went out necessarily and killed someone. He killed the left side. He saw the burden of the people. He saw the burden that the left hemisphere brings people. See, and that's the religious side, and it's a burden, and it's a heavy burden. And that left side will cause you to experience so much stuff when you're living out of that rather than having it swallowed up by the right side. It'll cause you all kinds of burdens. And so that's what that represents there when he saw the burden there in verses 11 and 12. Now look at verses 13 through 15 <clears throat> in closing. It says here, And when he went out the second day, <clears throat> excuse me, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to him that did the wrong, <clears throat> Wherefore smitest thou? thy fellow. In other words, <clears throat> these two men asked Moses why he killed the guy. Obviously, verse 14, and he answered, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killed the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt, thank you, dear, and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, what happens here is he's seeing two Hebrews fighting. And what this represents is the fact that once you've grown in wisdom and stature, you're going to have Hebrews, meaning you're going to have your brethren. Hello. You're going to have maybe even those of your family come, on. come against you. Yeah. You see, who do you think you are? What do you mean we never came here as a sinner? What do you mean God loves us? What do you mean the justice of God is the fact that he put us in Christ from before the foundation? Who do you think you are? And that's all that this is talking about here in verses 13 through 15 where it talks about these two Hebrews fighting. It's talking about the people that will come against those that have awakened mm -hmm. and have grown in wisdom and stature. That's all it's talking about there. So what happens is then he continues to the mount, and I'm going to stop right here, but he continues to the mount and he comes into this place, mm -hmm. the place of Midian. Midian means strife, so he's experiencing some strife. And then he goes up to the mount of Horeb. And on the Mount of Horeb, he comes in contact with a bush. And that's what we're going to get into next week. We're going to talk about the burning bush. In other words, we're going to talk more about the fire. Number four, that level of consciousness, the fire. And that denotes the burning bush. And we're going to see some great things out of the burning bush that will turn you inside out. You'll love it. I love it, you see. So again, what am I saying? I'm just saying that all of this stuff, I'm not saying it didn't happen in history. I'm just simply saying, I'm simply saying, until we can move past that, 
and come into the realization that it is something that is happening right now in the lovely here and now. We need to be drawn out of the water, drawn up as Moses was, up into the air, up into the fire, and experience. And again, it's going to be the child that's going to convince Pharaoh to let you go. It's going to be that mind of Christ. It's going to be that exercising the single aisle, however you want to say that, that's going to convince you that this left side has absolutely no life to offer you whatsoever. All it has to offer us is burdens. That's right. So it's being swallowed, and it's happening. Listen, as I said earlier, whether we feel it or see it or know it in any other way, it is happening right now. It is happening unbeknownst to us many times. We don't feel it. We don't see it. We may walk out of here and not feel like we got anything. But you know what? You did. We did. You couldn't help but have awakened just a little bit more. A little bit more. So that's the story of Moses. It happens to be the child. It represents the mind, but specifically the child being raised up within us. Remember David and Goliath? David was the child. Had he not been operating out of the right hemisphere, he never would have taken Goliath. Same with Benjamin. They would have not gotten any food in the time of famine had not Benjamin been brought. And who was Benjamin? Son of the right hand. Son of the right hand. So that's Moses. And next week, as I said, we'll look at the burning bush and we'll see some awesome truths and we'll deal more with the consciousness of the fire there. So Father, we thank you tonight for your presence and who you are, for your word, for your spirit. Thank you, Father, for the quickening that is taking place within each and every one of us. Thank you for this people. Thank you for the oneness that we have always had in you, how we've never been separate. Thank you for the love, the grace, the nurturing, and bringing us up in the mothering side of your spirit so that we can grow, so that we can awaken, so we can rise from the earth to the water, to the air, and to the fire, and experience the mind of Christ, walk in the mind of Christ, exercise the single eye so that we can experience that for which you have made us to be and who we have always been. We want to walk in that. We want to experience that in the kingdom of God, not in some future time, but in the now. For now is the day of salvation. We thank you. We honor you. We praise you. In the name of the Lord, amen and amen. amen.